We are now into the third part of our series on money, sex, and power. Uh, those three things so often can cause people to, to stumble if they're not careful. Um, and if you remember back to the beginning, Vic opened the series with two um, messages on money and giving. A couple of weeks ago, Dave Nunn looked at the thorny issue of the church's attitude to sex and relationship. It's not every day you hear the word masturbation mentioned from a church pulpit, what we did last week. Um, uh, so, <laughs> and we do it again this week as well. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Two for the price of one. Um, if you, and last week, if you remember, that was in the context of where the, the, the panel of elders up here answering the questions that you'd written down the previous week. And, look, and, really, and those were essentially around the church's stance, the church's view on sex and sexuality. Um, today, this morning, we get to power. And again, there's another two weeks on power. Next week, we'll have a number of stories, a number of testimonies from people's experiences of the uses and abuses of power in the workplace and in the family, in a family context and in the church as well. But today, we're going to look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, really relating to position and power. Now, just briefly, uh, just a, a, a couple of sentences of, of sort of background. The, the, you can go and read this chapter yourself before your Sunday dinner, but the disciples wanted to be great in God's kingdom. And certainly the mother of, one, of a couple of the disciples wanted her boys to be great in God's kingdom, but they thought of it only in terms of worldly standards, the standards that we see around us. And then Jesus because he's good like this, takes the opportunity to teach them, and obviously us too, how to be truly great. So I'm going to read from verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20, and read to just to verse 28. That should come up on your screen, so you can see, you can follow the words as I read them. So it says, Jesus called them together. So they've been talking and chatting about this stuff, and he called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Where Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's just pray briefly. Holy Spirit, we've been very aware of your presence with us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us and encouraging us, stirring us, healing us and challenging us. And I pray that you will continue to use your word to do the same motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let us go away, as already been prayed today, changed by the Word of God. Do a new thing in us, I pray, in your great name. Amen. As I was preparing this 
sermon, I had a quick look at um, an employment law website last week. And because uh, on that site, it defined the abuse of power, obviously in the workplace, um, uh, and some of the ways it can occur. So let me, just, let me just read to you some of the things off of that site. It says, abuse, this is talking about abuse of power, abuse includes humiliating you, threatening you, intimidating you, or possibly coercing you. Unfairness ranges from racial or sexual discrimination to singling you out for the worst assignments as a way to bully and dominate you. Offensive, humiliating, verbal or physical conduct may count as harassment as well as being abusive. Abuse manifests in many different ways. Some abusive bosses are constant critics who put down, insult and belittle you. Others intimidate you with angry, out-of-control rants and emotional explosions. I don't know if you've ever experienced any of that in the workplace. I remember my brother-in-law, when he, when he became a Christian, he, before he was a Christian, he, he never held a job down. He used to enjoy drink and drugs far too much to be ordered, ordered enough to, to go to work. Um, so when he became a Christian, there were dramatic, radical changes uh, in him. And, and he got a job, and he was working in um, a sewage processing plant. And his boss who knew he was a Christian, every single day would give him the worst jobs he could think of. Now, there's a scale of worse, isn't there? But if you're in a sewage plant, I guess it's not the best. That, you know, the best isn't that good as it is. So, but he determined, because this guy was abusive and, and, and controlling and uh, abusing his power in that place, he determined as a Christian to thank him every morning for that task of the day. Whatever he was shoveling, right, literally, he would thank him. Thanks for that, and he'd go and do it to the best of his ability in Christ. And it's great, isn't it? What an, what an antidote and what a response to the abuse of power. Now, I'm sure none, none of you in here use your power like that, but really what I want to get out of today is how we respond and how we are. You know, Jesus is, Jesus is saying those words there, what, what we should be like, and that's not like the world. So um, let's, just, let's just begin to work through some of these uh, verses here. So verse 25, it says, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. This highlights what the world values, right? This highlights what the world values. Is your ability, it's your ability to successfully serve, right? Yourself, right? Did you get what you wanted is a question you would ask. The, and the pinnacle of, of, of that is to have power and authority. I was able to get what I wanted and I didn't let anyone stand in my way. I was very successful in my business. There's, can you see that, that worldly there's a worldly attitude to success. There's a worldly attitude to power. You know, um, did I get what I wanted out of this person? Did I get what I wanted out of this situation? Did that earn me more prestige? Did that earn me more power? Did that earn me more money? That's the goal for the world, is to have power and authority and to exercise that power to your own advantage and to do it but actually to do it as 
in the most comfortable and convenient way possible as well. And that would be really great, wouldn't it? So you're, you're in a position of power, you're earning well, you've got everyone submitting to you, and it's going nice, right? Who dreams of that? I've, I've never flown first class before, I know, it's sad. I have glimpsed the first class cabin as I've headed towards the cheap seats before. Right? I have, on occasion, on the websites of certain airlines, gazed in wonder at the, uh, the first class cabins. Virgin Atlantic have got some very fancy... Has anyone travelled first class in Virgin Atlantic? Mate, well done. You don't don't be don't be um, ashamed of that. I would love to do it. <laughs> Even better. Um, I, I don't know whether you tra- travelled in the latest Virgin Atlantic first class cabins, but you get your own pod, and you get a fully reclined seat, which becomes a bed. There is on-demand satellite TV, on-demand Wi-Fi, on-demand food, on-demand blue sapphire gin and tip tree tonic. Right? You get the lot. Right? And I was just thinking, that so reflects the values of the Western world, because that's what we would, we would love. That. And that, that, that comes out of that power and control over our lives. If we've got full power and full control over our lives, we get that. We want it all, and we want it now. Power over our destiny. Power over our relationships and power over our resources and our time. And as much as possible... We want things on demand, you know, fully reclinable lifestyle. And to get that, lots of people aspire and chase after power. Even the good things people do. There's some, there's some who want to get, they want to get credit for it. Notice me, look what I've done. It wasn't that good. And pus- putting yourself in a certain position. I don't want to be overlooked. Ultimately, that can be self-serving. If we're going to follow Jesus, our lives should be radically different as Christians, as God's people in this fallen world. As as Christians, we should be self-sacrificing, not self-serving. And listen, I would still love to travel first class on Virgin Atlantic, don't get me wrong. But what do I aspire to? What, what stirs me? What encourages me? When it comes to power and authority, we're not supposed to be like the world around us. And that includes even the way our leaders function, even in the church. The rulers in this world that, we've just, you know, we, that Jesus refers to, Lord it over their subjects. They lord it over. That, that whole term carries the idea of we're looking down on people. I'm better than you. I'm richer than you. I'm more powerful than you. Can you see that? That, that is rhetorical. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not talking about myself, right? And you still see that philosophy shaping people in leadership positions today. Don't you? Maybe you work for them, right? That may be in government, local or national. It may be in business, in charities. It may be even in a Christian organisation. It may even be in a church. Because there's a dark driving force 
in mankind that wants power, that wants to control, to control, be in in control of your own destiny and your own future. And to do that usually means being exercising power over those around you and generally putting them down for your benefit. I'm talking about the world. I'm not talking about the way Christians should be. And power can change people as well, can't it? You know, once some people have a little bit of power, they get the taste for it and they want more. And then the way they gain power doesn't matter quite so much as long as they get it. You know, I don't know if you've worked with anyone, you know, when your mate who you got on really well with and you worked together and collaborated and it was great, and then he got promoted or she got promoted, you think, blimey, they've changed, right? Have you ever worked under people like that? You know, who died and made you king? Just that little bit of power and they cha- it changed their personality, it changed their character. Who's had to speak with someone at the council? Ah. Oh. That groan, if you can even get through now, I know. (laughs) But when you speak to them, they seem to have forgotten that they're there to serve the community, public servants. They bark commands at you, right? And issue edicts like some medieval king. And generally they get it wrong. Tell you, that's a test of your grace, isn't it, when you speak to some of the people there. There's power, changes people. A little bit of power and they don't know what to do with it. It might be normal for those who don't know Jesus to use their power to control people and to get one up on people, to push them around. But Jesus clearly says here that it's not meant to be like that for us, for believers, for his followers. Verse 26 and 27 of this passage we read here, it says, he says, but among you... It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. It's radical stuff, isn't it? And it really ain't nice in the church when a person comes into a position of power and then they view themselves as superior and they control others by their position. Now, thankfully, I have rarely seen and experienced that. Um, I do remember a few years back, there was a a prominent leader in a group of churches, not in this country, um, where where a whole group of church leaders and their spouses were controlled by fear. People were in genuine fear of this, um, essentially an apostolic figure and his wife, and other leaders in the movement dare not disagree with them. They would never, literally never challenge them. They did exactly as they were told. That is in a Christian context. That's not good, is it? You know, we're, we're to be servants and like slaves. And then this, in, in this story, not in, our, in a not so distant past where people are ruling by fear. God help us. We don't want that, do we? Greatness in the kingdom comes from being a servant and a slave. And we know that. But we live in this 
independent-driven Western culture where it's to make it on your own, to be as powerful and hopefully as rich as possible. That's people's most, most people's goals around. Leaders in the church, leaders who are Christians even, are supposed to be slaves of Christ and servants of his people. If we want to be great, we have to become humble. Selfless servants. And a true servant will make sacrifices for the sake of others in the name of Jesus. Right? If you want to be first, become a slave. A slave is owned by his master and could only go and do what the master wanted. It's a challenge. You know, the Apostle Paul often referred to himself as a slave of God or a slave of Christ. As you look through the letters of the New Testament that he wrote, that's how he introduces himself. Paul, an apostle, a slave of Christ. Paul, an apostle, a slave of God. He viewed himself as being owned by God. Owned by Jesus. Since he was bought, and we've all been bought at a great price with Jesus' own precious blood. For Paul, the apostle, to live or die doesn't matter. It was for the Lord. The slave is unconcerned with his own life or his own glory or his own power or his own position. His only concern is for his master. And we have a fantastic master, don't we? Don't we want to be a slave for him? I don't want to be like the world in it, my attitude to power. I will be a slave to Christ. I will do what he wants me to do. I'll be prepared to take the pain. It's not always easy, is it? Sometimes we have to really grit our teeth. But I think, no, he's bought me at such a great price. I'm owned by him. I'll be a slave for him. Jesus himself is the example of what it means to be, a, to be great in the kingdom and what it means to be a servant and a slave. Verse 28, the last sentence of the passage we just read, says, For even the Son of Man came, that's Jesus, talking of himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He became nothing, and yet we know he is everything. There's, your, there's our example. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others, to put others first, that's how we can demonstrate the greatness of Jesus in our world today. That every one of us, whatever we do, wherever we go, just to, to, to understand what he's done for us and to live in that way. To look at Jesus and, and look at his willingness to give us comfort and ease and convenience and certain choices and the ability to do certain things. To give up time and energy and resources 
to give up position and power and to surrender our life for him. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. He's the one who sacrificed his pure and perfect life for us in the first place. And then we clamor for power and position. Jesus, I want to be your servant. I want to serve you for the rest of my days. That willingness to give up position and power and comfort and convenience for the sake of others is a radical challenge, especially in this world we live in. It's not valued. It's despised even. We, this, this world's built on a, a culture of celebrating personal power and authority. Even if that power's abused, it doesn't really matter because they've, ri- they've risen to the top, so-called. And we, uh, that, that's we, we generally uh, don't celebrate the slaves and the servants and the ones who graft are, are unseen, do we? In this celebrity culture that we have in the West. Jesus didn't come to exercise his power over mankind to make us serve him. He came to serve us. And I know as we, he serves us, we want to serve him by the motivation and power of the Holy Spirit. He paid the price to redeem us, to buy us back. Jesus didn't die on the cross first and foremost so that we could live a happy, stress-free life. He died so that our bondage to sin could be broken. It's wonderful, isn't it? So we could be reconciled to the creator of heaven and earth. So that we could be in relationship with God himself and to escape his condemnation. It's mind-blowing that the God of everything would choose to do that for us. And then I want to clamor for power. What's that? He died so we could have an eternal relationship with him, which starts right now, the day you were born again. And if that's the example set by our master, then what should be the mark of our lives? To be a Christian means to follow Christ. And to be a person who's being conformed to his image, becoming more like him from one degree of glory to the next. When people speak to you and when they see you, do they see Jesus in you? Do they see the mark of a servant? Do they see their unconditional love and willingness to give, even if it's sacrificial? I'm talking to myself here. This is a challenge for us on a daily basis. Or do they see someone who's clamoring for power and is willing to push others down to get a better position? Jesus, I want to I want to reflect your glory to every person I meet. Does humility and servanthood characterize your life? We read the words in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Serving others 
means sacrifice. It means less time, less money, maybe less power, less control. It means more inconvenience sometimes, more tiredness, more work. That's why it's called sacrifice, I suppose. But if you live like that, you will see people's lives changed forever around you. I was thinking about this, and I was just thinking over just a couple of stories of, uh, t- from my own personal experience. A number of years ago, when, when my kids were young, we got to know a, a lady, a young lady. Um, it, ju- it was just a chance conversation on a high street. And I asked, the que- I asked her these words. I said, she used to be an ex-neighbor of ours. I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. How are you, Carol? I said. That opened the door to a period of our lives which um, was a life of sacrifice, <laughs> let me tell you. Th- this lady, it turned out, she told me how she was. Um, and it was one of the most horrendous stories I've ever heard of, of a personal experience. From a, from a very, very early age, the, the, she was on the receiving end of some horrible sexual abuse, which led her to get involved in some of the most extreme witchcraft I've ever come across in an individual. Um, her life was a mess. She was m- self-medicating with hard drugs and alcohol. Um, It it was just unbelievable when this story unfolded to me. And and I say it had an impact on our lives because she she lived about a 20-minute, half-an-hour drive from us down the motorway. And then I was constantly, and it was always in the middle of the night, we'd, we'd get a phone call where she'd be in such a mess, tormented by demons, tormented by... Her, her addictions, sometimes because she hasn't been able to feed that addiction, so she's in a mess. We, I would have to drive down in the middle of the night, to three o'clock in the morning to get her, and she said oh, she can't be on her own. We'd bring her back to our house. She'd be in our house, and the kids would be a, would wake up, and she'd be in a state. And, then, and this would happen time and time again where we just try and serve her and pray with her and help her and minister to her. And, ah. and people said to us, don't let it over. Don't let it dominate your life. You can't let her rule your life. Well, I understand the sentiment, but she needed some people in her life, and by God's grace, we was the ones. Eventually, over months of sac- literally sacrifice of time and energy and emotion and all the rest of it, um, we saw her experience a, a, a large measure of deliverance. the demons left often demons leave quite sensibly and quietly these ones were very noisy and dramatic we saw her get off of drugs but she couldn't get off the alcohol we saw her surrender her life to Jesus would that have happened if we hadn't over months you know lost sleep and emotion and all I don't know but I think God gave us that moment even recently, again, by the grace of God, we, we've, me and Denise have just started helping. It's not, this is not a hardship at all, really. Helping to look after a, a little boy, 12-year-old boy, who's, whose life has not been good. He, his mum, for various reasons, couldn't and didn't want to look after him. His, his grandmother had, had died 
long before he was born. So he's being raised by his great-grandmother, who is in her 80s. So we're just helping the great nan by basically giving some respite to her by having him stay with us. Now, that's no hardship. He's a lovely kid. But some people have even said to us, are you sure you want to do that? You're both working full time and you're not as young as you used to be. Right? (laughs) But I think, why not do it? You know? I want to serve. I want to be like Jesus as much as I can. And I know there's always mistakes and there's always a long way to go. But listen, are you more concerned about what people do for you or for or what you can do for them? How much are you willing to sacrifice in the service of your master, Jesus? You know, those disciples continued to argue about who was the greatest until, until Jesus had been crucified and was raised from the dead. Then with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they really began to live for Christ rather than themselves. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to go on being filled with him? Or are you still chasing after what the world values instead of what God values? God is opposed to the proud, we read in 1 Peter, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. The truly great follow Jesus' example and seek to serve, not be served. To sacrifice of themselves, not to seek others to sacrifice for them. If you want to be great, if you want to be powerful, you don't need to exalt yourself. In all humility, be a slave of Christ and serve him and his people. And let God be the one that exalts you. Then you will know true power. Amen. I'd love to just pray for us as we finish. Lord, to chase after power and position in whatever way is such a snare and a subtle temptation in lots of ways. But I pray that we, we would be those who put you first, that we will be your servant. We will be your slave. We won't be like the rulers in the world and lord it over others we'll be quick to demonstrate humility. We'll be quick to demonstrate grace and mercy because we have received so much of that when you suffered and died and shed your blood for us so that we could be forgiven and clean. Jesus, please move amongst us as City Hope Church. As we cry out to you, Lord, would you come? as you challenge us through your word and as we turn to you, would you change us and make us more like Christ? That City Hope Church would be, would be quick and willing to serve those around us and not be looking for position or power. 
I pray all that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.